Romans chapter 12 today. If you would join me in your Bibles, Romans chapter number 12. Will Rogers is a name from days gone by. He was known as the cowboy philosopher. And Will Rogers was once quoted as saying one of his more familiar sayings, and that is, I never met a man I didn't like. Some people have assumed that Will Rogers didn't get out very often. I don't know about you, but I'm going to assume that it's possible you have at some point in your life met someone that you didn't like. Have you ever noticed that the Bible doesn't tell you that you are, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to like one another? In fact, that, that statement is strangely absent throughout the pages of Scripture. And I think it's because to like someone is resting on the emotional realm. But to love someone is found on the actionable realm. And by God's grace and by God's power, it is certainly possible to love one another. When I was a kid, in our backyard, we had something that um, I suspect many kids had, and it was a sandbox, and probably a lot of kids back in my day had sandboxes that were like mine. I don't know where it came from, but in my backyard, I had a sandbox that was made up from an old tractor tire. It was a big tractor tire, and, and it just laid in the back part of our yard, and that was a sandbox, and I thought it was what every kid had for sandboxes, and, and it worked great. You could sit on the edge of the tractor tire and, and have at it, have a lot of fun. Uh, you probably have also noted that if you had a sandbox when you were a kid growing up, the more you played in the sandbox, the less sand there was. So it had some point of, you know, diminishing return. You'd play a lot in it, but the more you played, the, the less sand there was. It was probably mostly in your pockets and in your hair and wherever, but, but it wasn't in the sandbox. And, and so mine was um, woefully in need of additional sand. So like any good child, I mean, I'm probably seven, eight years old. I am on a continual quest with my dad to get that sandbox filled up. Dad, I need a new stand for my sandbox. And, well, I know, I know, we're going to get it. I mean, uh, you know, a couple days would go by. Dad, I really, I need a new stand for my sandbox. He's like, we're going to get it. That went on for probably, I don't know, a month or two. And, and Dad, I need a new stand. He says, I know, and we're going to get it this afternoon. Whoa. So Dad borrowed a truck, and it was one of those old trucks. Now, again, a lot of these memories are pretty vivid in my mind. Do you remember when you used to be able to shift a vehicle on the column, okay? And um, so dad has this, somebody borrowed the truck and he, he's driving it and we, we, went to, um, we went to the place to get sand. Now, the place was called, in my little town of Adrian, Michigan, it was called Bales Trucking. And you could get all kinds of, you know, all kinds of rock and sand and such. And, and back in that day, if you were getting sand for a sandbox, they gave it to you for free. And they had this huge pile of sand, and Dad backed up the truck to the pile, you know, this big pile of sand. And, and, um, and you know, he's, he brought a shovel, sticks it in there, and, and I can hear the thump 
of that sand on the old, you know, bed of that truck. I really, I mean, in my mind, all of these things are quite vivid. And, and so, you know, he'd stick that shovel in and toss it up and it'd thump on the back of the truck. And he fills it up enough for the sandbox and he drives out and, and they just wave at him, have a good day. You know, I mean, that, that day is, I suspect, long gone. Now it'd be, you know, $322 for the sand. But, but back then it was free sand and... Now, if you saw a big dump truck backing up for the sandbox, you'd probably ask a question, but just pickup truck. And we drove it back, and Dad backed it up to where my sandbox was. And again, I can hear that shovel scraping on the bed of that old truck, just, you know, the scrape of the sound with the metal on the metal with the sand, and, and then the thump in my tractor tire. And as a 7-year-old and 8-year-old, I'm watching this mountain form in my sandbox. And I'm picturing all the things I'm going to do. Now, how many of you had an old, rusty Tonka truck bulldozer in your... Yeah, lots of you. Okay. And a tetanus shot to go along with it, okay? (laughs) Man, I had those Tonka trucks. I had some of my mom's um, old pots out there because you could make a little lake, you know, bury it in sand. And I had a couple of her spoons that she didn't know I had. And um, all, all the necessaries, and this mountain is forming in my sandbox, and I'm picturing what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my Tonka truck bulldozer, I'm going to build a road all the way around, all the way up to the top. I'm going to post army men all the way around the road. Some of you are nodding like, oh yeah, the army men. And, and then I'm going to drive my little trucks. You know, I'm going to use my Tonka truck bulldozer to build the road. All of this on this mountain of sand. I have it all, I'm watching this form and I know what I'm going to do. And two houses down, I had another friend. My dad had gotten enough sand for my sandbox and for my friend Todd, who had a tractor tire in his backyard. Dad's going to fill up his too. Well, Todd is at my house and Todd does this to my mountain. I mean, the mountain is perfect. I got the whole thing. And Todd takes his foot and he goes like, he goes like that to my mountain. Well, immediately I told Todd, uh, don't, don't, don't mess, don't do that. And Todd looked at me, and he kicks my mountain of sand again. All right, don't do that anymore. Don't, don't touch my mountain. You're going to get your own mountain. And Todd, again, boom, he's kicking my mountain of sand. And I'm like, all right. And my dad jumps in, and I'm like, all right. Dad says, hey. And I'm like, give it to him, Dad. And he looks at me, and he says, cut it out. I'm like, Clearly, you don't understand, all right? The, he's kicking my mountain of sand. He says, it's a, it's a sandbox. He's kicking my, he says, you go inside. Kicking my, go inside. I walk inside, rather frustrated. There was, at that time, there was a window in the, at the kitchen sink, and I prop myself up on the counter looking out the back, and I'm watching Todd, my neighbor, really just dancing on my mountain of sand, knowing that I'm watching the whole thing. I I am, as an eight-year-old, plotting what I am going to do to Todd, and believe me, I'm going to do it, okay? The thing that that years later struck me, now, Todd didn't, didn't, you know, he didn't spread the sand all over the yard, it's just flattened in my sandbox. The thing that struck me sometime later is I was so angry, and I really was, you know, as a seven or eight-year-old, I was so angry at what Todd had done to me 
that I could no longer enjoy what my father had just done for me. And I wonder if at times in in life we become so frustrated with what we perceive others are doing to us that we really do miss the wonder of what our Father in heaven has done for us. The Apostle Paul begins to get to actually the necessity of Romans 12, 1 and 2. What he's about to unfold before us as we get to this last part of the book of of chapter 12 in Romans, Paul begins to say there is only one way that you're going to be able to appreciate what the Father has done for you. And it is to come to terms with what you have to do in Romans 12, 1 and 2 if you are ever going to be able to bless those that persecute you bless and curse not. Now he's writing to the church at Rome. He's going to get to, in Romans chapter 13, how it is that we see civil authority interact in our daily lives, even broken civil authority. The apostle's going to get to it and he's going to address this. But for now, the apostle Paul has just covered, this is how the body of believers is supposed to interact. This is how the church is supposed to distinguish itself from the rest of the world. But now, as it pertains to the church, the body of believers interacting with a world who are not believers, he says, essentially, there are only four ways of responding. Just four. And you will respond in one of these distinct four ways in your interactions with other people. Now, we already know there's supposed to be some way of interacting outside of the church. But Paul had already given us an understanding of this is how you're supposed to act within the body of believers. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 17. Look in your Bible, Romans chapter 12. Let's see, how does he start to unfold for us the characteristics that are supposed to be ours as we interact with a world who does not have your best interest in mind? Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number 17. Recompense, that means give back to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, by simple way of reminder, we have to know that we cannot demonstrate the love of Christ outside the church if that love is not being demonstrated inside the church. Paul has already covered that. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, He reminds us, let love be without dissimulation. Remember, dissimulation without hypocrisy. He says, let love be without without you wearing some mask. 
some, some pretend, some feigned imitation love. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. This is how the body of believers, the church, is called to interact with one another. The distinguishing mark of the reality of our Christian faith is love. This, this is what gives legitimacy to something that is, that is otherworldly. That's not of this world. If the church doesn't get that, how are we going to have any legitimacy outside the church? You say, well, the church doesn't do everything the way I want them to do it. Well, well who does? Where are you going to find something that continually, completely rotates around you? And is that really the end goal of Christianity? So we understand, okay, first of all, I have to know that there's supposed to be something that distinguishes the body of believers. John details this in no uncertain terms when he says in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This is what sets you apart. Regrettably, regrettably, there are believers in any assembly who seem to be ready or always looking for a fight. Why is this? Because our old nature has an insatiable desire to protect its own rights or what it perceives as its own. And when any of us begin to believe that our rights have been violated, I have a right to this, I have a right to this, I, I have a right to have my opinion not only observed but honored and practiced, Whew, wow. When any of us begin to believe that our rights have been in some way, shape, or form infringed upon, there are four ways by which we are going to respond. And basically, again, just four. So let's consider these four ways of responding and examine them briefly. I will say this. This is for those of you that may be guests this week and, and you won't be here next week. This is clearly a two-part message. So if, um, if your plans were to be here for this Sunday, then change your plans and join us again next Sunday. All right. So what are those four ways of responding? The first is something that we, we function on this level consistently. This is a very natural level, and we like this level. It is, in no uncertain terms, a good for good response. A good for good response. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, it says, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, okay, we all get it. Lots of people function on a good-for-good good relationship. You treat someone else well, we start to understand they're going to treat me the same. And if they don't, it's a little shocking because this is a very natural form of interacting. Good-for-good. Good. There's nothing difficult about this response. 
This isn't anything that is commendable. We don't stand back and say, oh, wow, what a blessing that you have been because you responded with good when I showed you good. It's quite natural. Our response is, by the way, then completely dependent on the good of others. It is how organizations or clubs form today. Okay, we share a common interest. Maybe even we share a desire for a common good. We want to do this in our community. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we want to establish this. We, we want to clean up this area of town. And, and we all have this common good. And so we'll do some good and we're doing good together. And hey, this is wonderful. Do you know it's interesting that, that there are a lot of people who assume that a church is nothing more than this. That a church is nothing more than this assembly of people who like the same things. Hey, listen, we we all kind of like the same music. We we all kind of like to go and and hear some encouraging words. And and we find some mutual benefit from coming together and forming what, what, you know, they call church. It's, It's not the church. There has to be something beyond what is just earthly and natural. Now, again, you might be the fan of, I don't know, a certain sports team. And so you have something in common, and you might not otherwise spend time with those people. You might not hang out with them. But when it comes to sports, like, oh, man, you're all together because there is some shared commonality. It is good for good. It's also interesting that there is some controlling factor about this. Like I'm dependent then on the good of others. If they do something good to me, then they're somewhat controlling me because now I'm going to respond like Pavlov's dog. Okay, the, the bell rings and I start to drool because I know something good's coming. Is that all Christianity is? Good for good. Let's take this idea a little bit further. How is it that we respond? Well, good for good is one. We also know that there are those who respond with evil for good. Evil for good. King David in the Psalms actually wrote of this idea of those who would respond with evil for good. Notice what he says in Psalm chapter 38, verse number 20, a Psalm of David. He said, they also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that is good. He said, okay, I'm I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to walk the right path. I'm trying. And he says, as I walk good, I'm doing good to others. He says, but there are those who even when I do good, the return that I get from them is evil for good. How many of you have ever found that um, someone is bothered with you for a reason that is unknown to you? No, don't raise your hand and don't point, okay? <laughs> All right. But have you ever found that sometimes someone can be bothered at you and you don't even know what they're bothered about? Um, and you've, you're just trying to do good. Um, I, I have a friend that I noticed here in the service today. He's an evangelist. It's Evangelist Rich Tozer. 
Rich is here, and as Rich goes and preaches, do you know that, that I know this is true, and Rich has never shared this with me, and, and I'm certain that he wouldn't, but I'm going to assume this is true. I'm going to assume that as an evangelist stands and opens the word and desires to do good, there may well be people that are listening to him that are doing so with arms folded that he's never met before, that are mad at him and, and for no reason of his own. They're just bugged. This guy coming in, telling me that I should be doing this, and his desire is good, but their response is not. Is that even remotely close to, I got the affirmative, okay. You know, sometimes you might take a position. You have a position of leadership. Have you ever found that once you take a position of leadership, like your head sticks up just slightly enough for others to take a shot at? Like, I'm just trying to do my job and do good, but because now you hold a position, someone is angry at you. Have you ever just walked by somebody before and you said, hi, and they don't even want to talk to you? What kind of a response is this? This is, again, it's one of the ways we respond. It's what we would call an evil for good. You say, well, where does that even come from? Well, it usually comes from a self-centeredness that says, for whatever reason, that person, that position that they hold, that, that thing that they represent, it somehow infringes upon what I want, and I don't like it. And now, man, there's a, an evil or, or some like anger, frustration. Again, they're being controlled. They're usually being controlled by a self-centeredness. It is oftentimes the response of a person who's not dealt with some kind of wrong done and it's planted a seed that's turned into bitterness. It is certainly the, the response that you get from someone like Judas Iscariot. Has there ever been a person who's been continually in the presence of unadulterated good like Judas Iscariot? He's spending time with, he's, he's in this inner circle of the 12. He's, he is around the one who is the personification of that which is always and only good. And yet, what is his response? Do you remember, he finally said, that's the last straw. A woman comes in with an alabaster box. She takes the ointment, she anoints Jesus. It's this beautiful act of good. And he finally said, that's it. And now Judas is the one in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 14. The one called Judas went out to the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. That is evil for good. You know, there's also another one, and, and we get this. We live on this plane more often than at times we'd like to acknowledge. And that is not this sense of, of good for good. Well, that's kind of nice. Not evil for good. We say, oh, that's terrible. But we actually find some mental pathway to evil for evil. We justify evil for evil. Okay, they did this, fine. But I didn't start it. I'm just the one who's going to finish it. Paul addresses this very specifically, directly, when he says recompense to no man, give back to no man, 
evil for evil. Now again, clearly there's nothing supernatural about this. Evil for evil. It's the most common level. And again, we are being controlled. Did you know all of these that we're looking at, good for good, oh, there's some control there. Evil for good, clearly there's something controlling me. Evil for evil. We're like the puppet on somebody's string. They do wrong to me. My natural, immediate response is, well, well, two can play at that game. Do you know how natural this response is? Who here is immune to the evil for evil response? This last week, I am studying for this message. Studying for this message. And I'm driving home on I-10. I'm driving home on I-10, and it's at night, it's been a long day, and the headlights, and as I'm driving, there's a car that's, that's slower in front of me, but I'm not honking the horn, I'm not tailgating, I'm just driving, but he's slower. He's in the fast lane, but he's slower. Not that it's the fast lane, he's just in the left lane, okay? Should be in the other one, Okay. And then I see him in my rearview mirror. I see a guy that is clearly frustrated, and he's cutting in and out of cars, trying to work his way up. And, um, and I'm passing a car slower than the one in front. We're both passing him, but we're passing him fairly slowly. And the, the truck, a white, a white truck, I hope it's not yours, okay? So a, a white pickup truck, boom, he pulls out, and I know he's going to try to get in front of me. And I'm coming up on a car in front now, have you ever had, like when someone is trying to pass you and you're about to, you know, you're coming up on another car and you know he can't pass you because now there's two cars together. Have you ever just slowed down a little bit? Well, I didn't, just so you know. I did take a little pleasure in the fact that he couldn't pass me. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I sped up or not. I don't know, okay? So... But, but, but now there's another car and he can't pass me. And so he cuts off the person behind me to get in right behind me. And now I am passing this car. I'm going the same speed. I pass the car on the right. And he is right on my bumper. I slammed on the brakes. His car, none of that happened, okay. <laughs> I wanted to. No, I didn't. Well, I probably did want to. So I, I, I got up and I passed the car on my right. I turned on my blinker. I got over, cleared the way for the, the guy in the white truck. And boom, he just took off. And I am thinking in my mind, that guy is, and I'm not kidding, this passage of scripture comes to my mind. Ay, 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 I'm, I'm thinking, okay, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Okay, recompense, it means give back. But can you wish evil for evil, okay? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that, that evil always stirs up more evil? Something has to interrupt the pattern. And it's not going to be natural. 
It has to be something of supernatural order. Otherwise, evil just keeps stirring up more evil. And so now we, we stirred something up, and, and now we add more evil to the pot, and more and more and more, and evil just keeps stirring up more evil. Clearly, again, we are being controlled. The last of the four, how is it that we respond? It is good for evil. Good for evil. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but when we get to this section in Romans 12, we, found, we find that we are in the realm of the supernatural. This kind of response is contrary to our human nature. Paul wrote it this way when he said in Romans 12, 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. It's actually a condensed paraphrase from the words of Christ. Here's how Christ said it. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, supernaturally, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We might wonder if this type of living is truly possible. It is certainly counterintuitive. It doesn't come naturally. This morning, I'm walking, and a horsefly is buzzing around me, swatting it away. He lands on my arm, the horsefly, and the horseflies hurt. So immediately, I, I blew him off. And he keeps buzzing around me. And then he lands on my arm again. He's trying to bite me. And I squashed him like a bug. This, by the way, does not apply to horseflies, okay? <laughs> but you know, I have found that in my life, oftentimes when someone does to me some evil, I might just kind of, you know, I'm going to swat it away. But if they come at me again, I'm going to squash you like a bug. You see, there is something that just comes on a human level to us with an ease that we don't even think about. Okay, so let's rewind the tape just a little bit. Remember, I said in ways we don't even think about, rewind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Okay, don't do those things that are certainly understood by the world. This just comes naturally to the world. Well, who doesn't do that? Well, he's telling us who does. Do something completely different. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I are never going to live the last part of Romans chapter 12 unless we start to practice and live in the first part of Romans chapter 12. You and I must have a mind that is continually being renewed and thereby transformed by the realities found in the pages of the Word of God. It's why we have to, in some way, shape, or form, rehearse the first part of the chapter so that it becomes, in one sense, our new first response. Have you ever done something so often that it becomes what we refer to as second nature, but you had to rehearse it? Um, how many of you moms ever said, okay, this is what you're going to do when, okay, we, we had, we have, whenever we have children sing in a service, whenever we have them, th there is a conversation that I know happens. Okay, now here's what you're going to do. Okay, let's practice. D do you know what a mom's trying to do? She's trying to say, all right, you're going to be faced with this situation, so let's practice what you're going to do. All right, a dad, okay, now, now here's what we're going to say. What are we trying to instill even into the life of a child, something that might not be naturally intuitive to them? God, this is the world that I live in today, and this is the person that I'm going to face, or these are the circumstances, or Lord, I have yet unknown circumstances that are before me. So how am I going to face that? Okay, this is what your word says. I'm going to have to have a mind that is not functioning on the plane of this world. Lord, you're going to have to infuse my thinking with thoughts that are certainly heavenly thoughts because the earthly ones will not produce what you have told me what to do. Renewed, not conformed, transformed. What does this do? It removes me from being controlled by myself and by others. And it presents a new way of control that is what we oftentimes refer to as being controlled or filled by the Spirit. This evil for evil is not the pattern that we're to practice inside the church. Clearly, it's not the pattern that we're to practice outside. The pattern that we're to practice is good for evil wherever it is found, inside, outside, wherever. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 15, the Bible says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. There are four ways that you and I typically respond. It's kind of nice when it's good for good because we like that and it's pretty easy. Um, sometimes it is evil for good. Like I did good and they did evil. And, uh. Sometimes it's evil for evil. We may live there more often than we would like to acknowledge. But the place that God has called you and I to live 
is to live on a plane that actually responds with good for evil. And there's only one way to accomplish that. And that is through a mind that is transformed by renewing. And the only place you're going to find that is in the pages of the book that is right now at this moment, I suspect, in your lap. May we find within its pages life-transforming power.